1: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from
0: HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hi, welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bull. And we are back with part two of our uh, Jeep brand podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, we've had a lot to cover already. We've already talked about... um, just a little bit about the Jeep brand itself, the history, sure. the design, the name. Lots about the war. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the uh, effort to to put this whole thing together and how they did it so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it seems like we and we just barely got into the civilian versions, right? I mean, we were starting to talk about the CJ models. Yep. And we were. Um, Do we even talk about dispatch models or any of that yet? I don't no, think we, we did. just
3: we just mentioned how uh, we we just mentioned how the versatility of the military Jeep could also translate to the civilian world, but maybe we should start with dispatch today. Yeah,
2: and one other thing, and I just remembered this, you know, in the last episode we were talking about uh, Ford and how Ford had decided at the end of the war to stop producing it's version of the Jeep because right, yeah. they, they, Ford was building Jeep vehicles. Believe it or not, if you have, haven't listened to the first podcast, you should to find out you know how that all worked together. But right, they were um, building uh, the Pygmy. Yeah, they were building the Pygmy version, I guess, of it. And uh, in Ford, you know how they all three had come together. Remember Bantam, Ford, and Willys. Yep. Well, they all had their own ideas that came together. And just as a, an interesting, again, another historical side note: the the slotted grill on the front of the Jeep, you know, with the round headlights and the slotted grill. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a Ford design that was a carryover into, uh, you know, the Willys product, you know, the one that they continued to build after the war and the one that mm-hmm. they trademarked after the war. Oh. So think about this, Ben, you know, that that distinctive Jeep, uh, seven, I think it's a seven-slot grill now that they use with the round headlights. Yeah. That design was something that's carryover from Ford. So if they had stuck with it, that would have been a, a kind of a Ford signature item on a, on a
3: vehicle rather than a Jeep signature item you know what's so strange about this is that i know we talked about about this fact in our previous episode but scott you still have to stop and marvel when you consider how rare it is for these three different companies completely different companies to be given the same set of design and spec requirements and then be able to work together constantly doing that i i have to wonder you know it's it's happened before sorry it's happened before with some other vehicles uh but not often and well this is for the greater good you know yeah it was a a time of war
2: or i mean we were war was imminent at that point Mm -hmm. and uh they they knew that it's for the best i mean you got to put all of that other stuff aside you can't be in competition with somebody um you know during that time you've got to work together just to make this work because otherwise you know we all lose really
3: yeah and that's yeah. and
2: that's really the sentiment that that this all came down to and saying that you know we've got to, we've got to make this this one design work and we've got to work together as a team and that's just the mm-hmm. way it has to be and uh, and they did it well. I mean, what they came up with was uh, was a great solution. And they ended up building what did you say seven hundred thousand vehicles yeah, together in four years. I mean, Ford and Willys, and of course, Bantam was responsible for the initial design. I guess so. They mm-hmm. had a lot to do with it as well. Um, interesting history. I mean, the the history of this thing is is really really incredible. It's very very rich. It's very deep. And there's so many little you know side notes and right. and, and, and one uh, more things. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. Uh, we're trying to cover a few of them here. But really, if you want to dig into this on your own you'll find some surprising, you know, eyebrow-raising items in the in the history of the Jeep that uh, you just never would have guessed.
3: Yeah, call your boss, say, I have to take the week off because I listened to this podcast about Jeeps, and now I have to know everything they didn't get to. But one thing we will get to, and I'm sorry, Scott, because I know this conversation is going to be so tangential between us today, and I, I guess we always go into tangents, but that's fine. Uh, I'm sorry because we've been about to talk about dispatches for an an episode now. I
2: guess so, yeah. We're going to talk about dispatches, and we'll just keep it sort of brief on dispatches because we were were mentioning the Jeep CJ product, right? The civilian Jeeps in the last one. And, uh, you know, again, this public version of the military Jeep from World War II. And the CJs were so popular, and by the time uh, 1955 rolled around, um, they decided that um, they were going to build these two-wheel drive variants of the four-wheel drive versions of the CJ and we're going to call them dispatcher vehicles now the dispatcher vehicles are what you would think of, um, you know, when when you think about AMC owning uh, the the company, I guess. Right. And yeah. uh, in nineteen, I'm going to take a quick look at my notes here, just kind of cheap. But um, in 1955, who Ooh. owned the oh. Jeep name? I believe it was and oh, in it was that, Kaiser. Oh, you beat me Tom. too. Late. Oh, I'm sorry. I found my note ahead of time, but it was a uh, Kaiser who called themselves Willys Motors at uh, the time. Yeah. And uh, so so it actually predates the AMC version of the Jeep in 1970, but these, these dispatcher Jeeps were built through that time when AMC
3: owned them. Mm-hmm. And these are the vehicles that you would think of as the, the mail delivery Jeeps. Yep. The next time your post office vehicle comes by, uh, just, Peek Out the window, I mean, don't be creepy. Maybe just walk out the door and you will notice that is a dispatch jeep, or it may have been.
2: It may have been, and, and the thing is, they built them from like 1955 all the way through 1984, and they were called the DJ version of the Jeep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how these all these uh, different models have different, uh, I, I guess, codes ahead of them body codes, right? And you know, like we think of you know, the, the modern Jeep as JK, as um, you know, Mark had mentioned with his Jeep, yeah, the JKU, yeah, JK, but then there's also the CJ, and there's um. Uh the F J and there's Ooh. the J the J series standalone, the SJs. There's all these different series throughout history, and you have to go back through the timeline to figure out which is which and you know what body style is what. But um, these dispatch vehicles, which were the, the DJs, which Ooh. I guess is easy to remember, the DJs. <laughs> um, those are the ones that we associate with the male Jeep models. And kind of tying into this thing. You know, these are some vehicles that appeared around nineteen fifty nine, so right around the same, there was a type of vehicle called the Jeep Surrey. And the Jeep uh, Surrey is maybe a, a lesser-known Jeep model to a lot of people.
3: Yeah, this is one that was vaguely familiar, but you schooled me on it a bit. Uh,
2: Yeah, this is an interesting one. If you look up a Jeep Surrey, there's a good chance that you're going to find a vehicle that is a... uh if you find a restored one, it would be a in in sort of a uh, a bright color, maybe a pink or maybe like yeah. a mint color, and there's a uh, reason for that yeah there's a good reason and and if you if you look at them, you'll quickly understand what they're used for. They're typically used for hotels and resorts to shuttle people back and forth to the beach mm-hmm. or maybe just on the property and they would allow sometimes they would allow the um the residents the uh, you know the people that are renting property to drive these vehicles they could they'd be rental vehicles on the property so instead of renting a golf cart right you would rent a jeep surrey vehicle and you would drive it down to the beach for the day and that would be kind of your uh your get around the resort vehicle and they're they're very distinctive i mean again bright colors they had a lot of chrome and almost like um ornate almost like a boat would have you know like with a lot of chrome accents on them yeah just kind of touristy and maybe the most distinctive thing was they had this canopy top that was a, a fabric top that was striped and typically, it was like a pink and white stripe, and you can just picture this in your mind. Um, think about the uh, the Fantasy Island vehicles. Now, they used a couple of jeeps, you know, CJ models, I believe, in Fantasy Island. But I think that the uh, the main vehicle that uh, Ricardo Montalban drove <laughs> was a uh, a station wagon that had a canopy top like that. It was a custom built vehicle, no doors. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of was meant to be like a lower. Uh, jeep type vehicle i guess but it was like a i think it was a plymouth Valari station wagon and then tattoo had his own little go-kart version you remember that looked just like
3: that oh yeah and tattoo was the uh the plane boss the plane yeah guy.
2: herve villaches i think is his name oh
3: right? nice yeah yeah he uh, he's no longer with
2: us but nice um, um, but, yeah. but interesting interesting uh, little side note there is that you know these surrey vehicles if you look them up online you'll you'll instantly recognize them as resort vehicles
3: can we uh talk a little bit about the uh, mark of Jeep across the world? Yes. Okay, so Jeep, as we know, is super popular in the United States and in the West in general, but that's not where the story ends. Jeep is also popular in uh, other countries, and indeed it's manufactured in other countries because get this, buddy, Uh we mentioned earlier in episode one that Jeep and its owning company who is now Fiat uh issue these licensees. Right? Sure.
2: Now the headquarters, just to get this straight, the headquarters for Fiat is in Auburn Hills, Michigan. Right. Uh, North America, anyways. Fiat North of America North America is in Auburn Hills, Michigan. And then the headquarters for Jeep is and always has been in Toledo, Ohio. It's and kind of
3: like a separate uh separate entity. And it always will be, because they've they've got some autonomy there. But uh all right. So in Argentina, they made IKA Jeeps. And uh, for our Australian listeners, uh, Willys Motors in Australia, which was active up until about the 80s, uh, th- there are some interesting things here. There's a little bit of international crime when it comes to Jeeps. International crime? I'm intrigued. What's going on? <laughs> it's uh, in Burma or Myanmar. Uh, two Burmese companies are producing unlicensed copies of Jeeps. Wait, 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 wait. Unlicensed copies of Jeep,
2: so they're yep. just outright building Jeep-like vehicles. I'll, I'll call them Jeep-like vehicles, okay? Because yeah. uh, they're they're no doubt uh, of lesser quality, right? So what's uh, how how can they just get away with that? I don't understand.
3: Well, this goes into um, this goes into the tricky world of trade regulations, international regulations. licensing. Yeah, because you know that's a that can be a big problem for everything from. A computer mouse to a uh, satellite, you know? Oh, man. There's so much, there's reverse Broad engineering. Range. Yeah. Uh, but the, I, I'm not sure why these haven't been busted down yet. Um, China does have the Beijing Jeep Co- Corporation or corporation, excuse me, which, um, went from 83 to 2009 and is reopening with a uh, Fiat Chrysler Partnering up with, uh, the Guangxu, uh, Automobile industry. I think I totally mispronounced that, that.
2: That's all right. You know, I've heard of Beijing Jeep uh, you know, mm-hmm. many times in the past, and you know, I think I, I want to say that I was when I was working at Chrysler, there was a guy that had driven around the world. Then, like uh, done one of those trips where you know there there are places where you have to ferry the vehicle, obviously, right? But uh, he had driven around the world, and I believe it was a Beijing Jeep product that he had driven in. Wow, that's and uh, it's kind of on display there with everything that he had, uh, you know, taken with him around the world. It was pretty interesting to see. Now they also make them in India. They make them in spain mm-hmm. uh... several places in south america um, you mentioned Did you mention japan i think uh... in japan they built them until something like nineteen ninety-eight Yeah. so these are officially licensed versions of the jeep that are uh, you know the, the company knows about the main parent company says you're going to build them to our standards and they're going to you know have you're going to have the jeep name but you're also going to have the
3: jeep quality right and uh... pay some fees to us now what's interesting is that in iran they have, uh, they have vehicles that are not called Wranglers or Wagoneers or the DJs, but they're completely based on them as well. Oh, and the I, copycat I, vehicles. Well, I don't know if they're copycats. I think they are though. Maybe someone can, maybe someone can correct me. I want to talk though about something that fascinates me that might hopefully fascinate some of our other listeners who are interested in the chicken bus stories from earlier oh who wouldn't be interested in <laughs>
2: another chicken bus story you've got you you've got
3: endless chicken bus stories oh well this is something like a chicken bus oh really okay yeah and this too is bad. yeah <laughs> this is the jeepney uh the jeepney have you heard of this? I have not heard about this. Okay. you catch me off guard here. I think you've... I'm, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. I'm pretty sure that you've heard of this. Maybe not the name, but you'll hear... You'll know what it is when I say it. Okay. It's a popular form of public transportation in the Philippines. So in World War II, right, mm-hmm. uh, there were a lot of U.S. Uh, operations that were around that theater, right, and in the Philippines. Sure. So jeeps were everywhere mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of jeeps were just left behind.
1: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia
0: is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
3: Now, these Jeeps, um, The these Jeeps originally... Got customized and then they became very popular in the Philippines. And now they're built, they're, um, they're building larger things that are almost like buses that are public transit in the Philippines. But weirdly enough, they're made up of, they were originally made from U.S. military jeeps left over from World War II. And, uh, they're so popular and they're so understood to be public transit. That if you have one that's just for, you know, you and your family, the best, the move you do is you put a sign on it that says, like, family only, or private. No kidding, cause people, people hop on, huh? People, yeah, people just assume, like, oh, you're in a gypney. You gotta watch
2: for the hop-on.
3: Yeah, and there are, um. What is that from? That's arrested development, right? Oh, man. They're driving
2: that, uh, yeah. remember
3: the staircase for the airliner and they're, they're saying <laughs> watch, watch for the yeah, hop-ons? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, one, uh, other foreign thing that I thought would be interesting is a little different. We'll go across the world to Colombia. Um, there is a Jeep parade in Colombia. Really? Yeah, I'm going to mispronounce it. It's spelled Y-I-P-A-O, Yipao. I'm going to go out on a limb here, Ben,
2: and I'm going to say that I bet there are Jeep parades elsewhere in the world as well i mean that's it's that's, that's cool that you found that one mm. but i'm sure oh, that yeah. somewhere out there there have been other jeep parades because uh these are so popular and and just being that they're built in so many different places yeah you know that uh you know we mentioned toledo and their their pride with the jeep name and the jeep product yeah that's the headquarters exactly I mean. right so i mean i would say that you know in beijing or you know any of these other places we mentioned you mentioned iran you mentioned mm. uh you know other places in japan, japan yeah. um I would bet that in the in the cities where these things are built that, you know, there's probably a day when they uh, they bring out the new products and have a uh, a smaller parade, maybe, you know, of Jeep-only products.
3: Oh, yeah. Wouldn't it be fun to be in one? And if you think about it, we've talked a lot about the uh, developing world and the affordability of vehicles. Mm-hmm. And Jeep Ooh. is one of the, you know, historically is one of the ones that people had a better chance of affording.
2: Can I tell you something since yes. you just said affordability? This yeah. is going way back. This is uh, yeah.
3: as slightly off topic,
2: I guess. When the initial vehicles came out, the uh, the initial war vehicles... Oh, this is cool, yeah. Uh, the, now, the final production model Jeeps during the war, you know, these are, these are the wartime Jeeps. So the Willys-Overland models, which are called the MB, and then the Ford-built models, which are called the GPWs, uh, the price difference really wasn't much between them, but it was very, very low. So, so the cost per unit of the Willys-Overland model, the MB, mm-hmm. $648.74. That's all it cost them to build that and get it out onto the field. Well, actually cost them to build that i don't know how much it cost them to ship it out to the field or whatever right but, yeah um and the ford built models were seven hundred and eighty two dollars and 59 cents so it looks like there's only about a um uh, what is that about that's uh, 140 bucks between the two
3: something yeah, i mean roughly multiply that by well
2: thousands. multiply that by yeah. seven hundred thousand. Right. it depends on how many each each brand built but yeah. um i thought that was an interesting side note that uh you know for as little as 648 dollars and 74 cents they could uh, they could build a a Willys Overland Jeep, mm-hmm. and and I mean again, the Ford came in at just under eight hundred bucks. So that's and not bad at all.
3: I think that if if I recall correctly, I think that Ford manufactured. Uh, a little more than half of those 700000 So the more expensive one, they, they yeah. built more than half. Well, also they have more production capacity. There's just no way around that. You know,
2: it's funny. Like, when you look at them, there's little subtle differences between them. Like, I think the Ford version was just a little bit heavier. Yeah. They cost a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they all have their own little thing. And, and you know, the the military said... You know, that's fine. You just get them out there in the field. We just need, we need 700,000 of these things. So (laughs) so yeah, just start
3: building them and we'll talk about world
2: war. That's (laughs) That's right. We'll talk about the differences later.
3: Yeah. I think that Willie's ended up building around 330,000. It's a good fact uh if i if i recall it correctly that's a good absolute fact that you just gave ben i will uh look it up and make sure that uh, you're I'm kidding (laughs) it'll come back uh, years later okay now we've mentioned some of jeep's effects in the uh world at large we've also explored well we touched on some copycat cars that's an interesting podcast we have uh for anyone who wants to hear more about copycat cars in depth How did I say that? That was a tongue twister, huh? Yeah, it was pretty good. Hey, thanks, man. I'm about to rural juror the heck out of this podcast. Nice work. (laughs) So uh, what I think we need to do now is talk about some of the models that are out there
2: okay you know what well let's do this quickly because uh, i think we can move on to uh some of the other things that uh that people might be interested in as well like the uh you know the, the rubicon trail and some mm-hmm. of the events that they can cover yeah. and things like that so let's just do the models quickly you, you agree with that maybe yeah totally and uh we won't go in depth about each one and everything but there's one that i'd like to kind of mention as a standout if that's all
3: right uh, okay
2: all right so i looked at the uh you know the current jeep website you know jeep.com mm-hmm. and found out uh, that they have uh several different models here um and some special editions that I'll just mention real quick. Um, okay. They have, of course, the Cherokee. They have the Compass, mm-hmm. the Grand Cherokee, the Patriot. Mm-hmm. They have the Wrangler, uh, the two-door Wrangler, which is the one we, we mentioned many times, uh, the four-door Wrangler, which is a relatively newcomer, and then they have something brand new for 2015, which is called the Renegade. And mm-hmm. if you don't know anything about the Renegade, check it out. We're not going to go into the, the specs of that thing right now, but the Renegade is kind of an interesting new vehicle for 2015, so it's all new. Uh as far as limited edition models they've got uh just a, uh, several different ones here that um will kind of span different lines like you can get the you know a, a vehicle that's in the uh just for example the altitude family of vehicles they call it like the it's a special edition altitude model but you may be able to get and I'm going to just pick this as an example and maybe it's not true but the Compass and the Grand Cherokee you can get that in the altitude
3: mm-hmm. um
2: something like that so uh, for as far as limited edition models they have the altitude they have the freedom uh, they have something called the, uh, what is it, the Willy's Wheeler, which is kind of cool. They have the Dragon Edition. They have the Rubicon X Edition. They have the Polar Edition. So you can see that within the brand, they've got a lot of variety, right? Yes. And and one thing that they have here that's kind of a standout, and it has been for many, many years, uh, they have in the Jeep brand lineup, they have an SRT vehicle. Ooh. And I always love the SRT vehicles. I think they're <laughs> so cool. you know, Yeah. Yeah. Uh kind of the uh, the hopped up version, I guess. Right. And this one in particular, the uh the Grand Cherokee, has a six point four liter Hemi V eight engine, which is like four hundred and seventy horsepower. Um not bad for a you know, not big bad es- at all, big yeah. SUV, four hundred and sixty five pound feet of torque, so it's a strong engine, zero to sixty and you gotta remember the size of the Grand Cherokee, zero to sixty in four point eight seconds. You know that's using launch control, and it's got a lot of different, uh, you know, very advanced systems in it that allow you to do that zero to sixty in four point eight. Right. Uh, mid thirteen second quarter mile speed, which is pretty good for again a big vehicle, and one hundred and sixty miles per hour is the top speed. Now I don't think I would push a, a Grand Cherokee to one sixty ever, but um, <laughs> because it's such a big vehicle, I feel like I'm going to tip over in anything. But uh, the SRT in particular, you know, big fat tires, it's yeah. squatted down a little bit more. It's got a better feel to it than. You know, the one that's a little bit higher up in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the standout for me in the in the Jeep lineup, and and the Renegade, which I think is really cool. And of course, you know, I mentioned already that uh, you know my wife and I are looking at the Unlimited, the four door version, as a right. potential future future buy for us.
3: Ah, yes, and there are some uh, pros and cons that I'm I'm just going to put the plant the seed now to uh, to revisit this in one of our side notes that's coming up. <laughs> sure, but before we do that. It's time that we finally talk about something that we just didn't get to in episode one, which was the Rubicon Trail.
2: Yeah, that, that has a special tie-in for Jeep and Jeep owners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people will recognize the name, recognize the name. And I just mentioned it in the, uh, the current model lineup. There's a, there's still a Rubicon version of this thing. Yep. And, uh, so what's the tie-in? Why is it, why is it so important? Well, you have to know what the Rubicon Trail is to begin with and where it's located. It's, uh, it's, It's a, uh, I guess, part road and part four-by-four trail. Mm -hmm. It's located in the Sierra Nevadas, so it's a a very rugged part of the United States. And it's about, I think it's about 80 miles east of Sacramento and due west of Lake Tahoe. Mm -hmm. So that gives you an idea of exactly where it is. Now, part of the trail is used as testing ground by Jeep. In fact, you know, the Rubicon variant, variant of the Jeep, as we mentioned, uh, is named after that trail. It's a specific, um, you know, specific product name that they use because,
3: yeah.
2: because it shows its ruggedness. And, and as a matter of fact, you know, all of the Jeep vehicles, if you look at, um, the, I believe it's on the driver's side fender of the vehicles, it has a, a badge that says trail rated. Mm-hmm. And it's a small silver badge. And it's not just something that they stick to the side of the vehicle because it looks cool. <laughs> it says, you know, tra- I think it says trail rated four by four or something like that. Yeah, and uh, what it does is it proves their capability because all of the Jeep products, you know, one of each of them, has been tested on the Rubicon Trail. It has to be able to pass the Jeep durability test that they uh, that they put it through. Now, there's five steps in the test that uh, that are important, and, and they have to meet or exceed all of these tests in order to be uh, certified as trail rated. And those five tests are, are tests for maneuverability, okay. uh, ground clearance, mm-hmm. articulation traction and water fording so every one of the uh the products that is certified as a uh, as a trail rated jeep product which all of them are i believe Mm -hmm. uh that that means that they've gone through and either met or exceeded all the expectations on that trail now that's uh you know that they've they've passed they've been able to conquer the trail and if you take a look if you ever go online and take a look at you know what jeep puts their products through on the rubicon trail yeah
3: it's not a cakewalk
2: it is intense i mean you would look at some of the, the places that they go through and you would never, ever believe that a vehicle could go through there, I mean, much less all of the Jeep product line. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing. It really is. Uh, it's just intense.
0: If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a paper someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously, it's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash
1: Get emotional with me, Ravi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry.
3: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And, you know, Ben, when you think about it, you know, the Jeeps of the past, they were, they were so much more Spartan and so much more utilitarian than the ones are now. Because right. now you look at a Jeep that's on the road, and, and it's, it's, I'm going to say, it's relatively plush inside. I mean, yeah. look, look at a Grand Cherokee, you know, go and Ooh. sit in one, Ooh. and then you think, you know, you look at the... the uh, the footage of you know what they can accomplish on the uh, on the Rubicon Trail, and you think, man, I don't, I, I would never guess that this vehicle, which is actually very comfortable to drive in, very easy to you know get around town and or whatever, sure. that it's so rugged and it, it's capable of doing what it does off road. Now, okay, so we've we've kind of covered a lot of ground here. Yep, I yeah. mean, you, we've talked about where Jeeps were built in the past, but you said there's also a Jeep capital of the world. Is that right?
3: Oh yeah, that's right. Well, uh, you know self self uh, acclaimed jeep capital of the world oh, okay out there in Aure, uh colorado uh which is spelled o u r a y it's earned this reputation uh because it has so many jeep roads and they're rated from easy to very difficult to mm. traverse so if you are a jeep driver you are in hog heaven up there man but also don't be discouraged if you do not own a Jeep, but you find yourself in the Jeep capital of the world, you can easily rent one. Hmm. Because, of course, what, what kind of capital would it would it not be? Um, this is also where uh, one of the most famous Jeep events is held. Hmm, what's that? The Jeep Jamboree. Oh, no
2: kidding. Okay, so yeah. you know what? Can I talk about Jeep Jamboree I'd in just love, one second? Yeah, because yes. you reminded me of one thing. Yes. In that
3: town, you had better know about the Jeep Wave. And you do know about the Jeep ah, Wave, right? This goes back to, okay, so, you guys, off air, Scott and I were talking about this before before we went into record. Um, and off air, we were talking just a second about the Jeep Wave and how it actually is a pro and a con for some jeep owners
2: particularly the wrangler owners the uh the jeep unlimited model you know the uh the off-road versions i guess right yeah what's the jeep wave okay the jeep wave is uh and this is where jeep owners um again primarily you know cj owners that type of body style right uh they give kind of a little nod or a wave to uh to show that you know like the camaraderie i guess Uh, you often see like harley riders will do the same thing you know they'll they'll stick the hand out down below you know like with the Mm -hmm. peace sign or whatever they do i'm not sure three fingers something like that um but there's there's a little bit of etiquette to this and i didn't know this and i found it and maybe it's a little tongue-in-cheek in in the way that this is written of course but there's three different versions of the jeep wave that you can do and i've i've only done one of these and it was when i was in the north so as you'll find it's maybe a little odd um there's one that's a uh, a top off version. So let's say that you know you got the top off on your Wrangler, right? Or your CJ.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, it, this is a one handed wave above the windshield or right. outside of the body tub. So you stick it through the door. And it's you know invariably missing because you know you are taking the doors off your Jeep. Of course. Yeah. So you stick your hand out and wave, and that's uh, that's one version. Now there's also the top off during a blizzard because of course you would have the top off during a blizzard because you know you're uh, you you always have that top off. And I've seen people drive around like that. You mm-hmm. know when it's uh, it's snowing. Softly, but you know they they still have the top off on the Jeep, or maybe even the doors, because that's uh, it seems to be what they do. Right. Um. There's the this version is you would uh, <laughs> you would shiver and nod with your but your hands would remain frozen to the steering wheel. So obviously this is a joke, right? I mean, and then the last one is the southern or rural locations. This is the one that I'm familiar with. Okay. Uh, this is simply where you raise your fingers from the steering wheel and then you nod. So it's like you can kind of give them like just the uh, the two fingers yeah. up or maybe a hand up. And then just kind of like a little nod to, you know, say, I see you over there. And, uh, and it, it's really, it's become common culture. It's an, it's an etiquette thing that they all do. They really do. And if you watch two Jeep owners pass, you'll see it happen. So are you, uh, are you
3: for it or against it? I'm
2: against it. I think it's uh, a con, and I'm actually going to say that that is, uh, one reason that I would protest us buying a Jeep personally. Uh, in my own family because
3: uh, it's, it's just too much to deal with, Ben. It's, uh, it's, it's a hassle. Are there too many Jeeps or do no, you I'm just kidding. hate waving to people?
2: I'm kidding. It's not a hassle. <laughs> it's not too much to deal with. It's, it's something that, uh, you just don't think about it at first. And, you know, the, the problem is that when you forget to do it, then you know, a hundred yards later down the road, you feel like a jerk because you didn't and you saw them wave and you didn't, you know, acknowledge them Oh, and you feel like, yeah. oh man, I screwed up. So the next time maybe you're early to do it and then they forget or, you know, it's just, it's, it's become one of these weird etiquette things that, um, and I was only joking about yeah. you know, being a deterrent to buying one. I'm, I'm kidding, obviously, but, sure. um, it, it's something you got to consider when you're buying a vehicle, you know, you got to yeah. think, I think,
3: um, Corvette owners may do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Think, I'll tell you what, uh. Monte Carlo owners do not, uh, and I found that out because I would, I would drive by, especially if I saw one that was the same color as mine or something, I would, I would honk and then wave and I got the, uh, I got the side eye a couple oh, times. Really?
2: Like, yeah. what's your problem, huh?
3: Yeah, just, uh, not necessarily angry, but they, they were like, I do not know this person who is honking at me <laughs> and maybe even didn't think, you know, I'm honking because, we drive the same car. How do you indicate that? You know, point at their car and then at yours? Yeah, I know. It's uh, tough
2: to, uh, unless you get somebody that's in the same spirit as you. You wouldn't, uh, you would never do that. Or, or, um, I don't know, what if uh, somebody was thinking that, you know, you're trying to indicate to them that. Uh, their light is out or exactly, something. Exactly. There's a that problem a or something like lamp. that. Yeah, I yeah. mean, a horn honk just has so many means. <laughs>
3: right, yeah. Uh, and, and a wild hand gesture, which, whatever you were doing. Is, it, is there a, is there a Monte Carlo handshake? I don't know. There should be one. I'm, I feel like a bad Monte Carlo owner Maybe now. Maybe need to develop one. Maybe I should just start one, man. Uh We'll take any ideas or topics for All right, for so, so yeah. I
2: went way off topic here. You, you just mentioned the Jeep Jamboree, right?
3: Oh, yes, yes. They're in Colorado.
2: And they go back to 19... 19- 53. So these go way, way back. Now we're talking about the big jamboree events that, you know, Jeep owners are, are invited to come you know, out to. I think it's open to everybody. That mm-hmm. one is. And you're allowed to come in and, and kind of enjoy your Jeep for what it can do, right? Because you said that this town has uh, all these different trails and different ratings and you're able to test your vehicle to uh, to
3: the limit, really. Right. You can all, yeah, You can tour through the passes, and they've got several different trails, and uh, you can even go on Jeep-led tours mm-hmm. uh, so somebody else who knows the area really well could show you around, and then you can drive around by yourself. Now, the good
2: news is that Jeep Jamborees are still around. You can still go to Jeep Jamboree, and there's still something else going on, but I want to mention something that, that happened and then kind of faded away. Okay. Uh, in 1995, Chrysler, when they still owned Jeep in 1995, they, they started something called uh camp jeep and camp jeep uh which uh i don't know is a sort of like a jamboree but a little bit different i mean it was uh it was something that you know one of the guys that had taken over the jeep division i guess who recently assigned to it uh his name was lou batoni I, I believe or batanti mm-hmm. um he's the one who kind of came up with the idea he attended a jeep jamboree sometime in the early 90s and he said you know i think that there, there's a uh, something here for chrysler we can come up with something that uh, is specific for jeep owners that that chrysler can put on not something that's you know this nationwide thing it's something a little bit smaller maybe in, in its own way um but the early organizers of this whole thing you know when you had this idea they had one important thought that went through their mind the entire time when they were deciding what camp jeep would consist of and they kept act- asking themselves this question they said is this something a jeep can do hmm. and it was always in the, at the top of their mind is that you know how can we push these vehicles to the limit and kind of surprise the owners with what they're capable of of doing yeah. you know not only the vehicle but the owner themselves we want to push the owners to uh, to kind of the the edge of the envelope we want them to experience their vehicle to the uh, to the fullest you know and they actually said we want to take people out of their own comfort zone we want to we want to let them know that you know this is a far more capable vehicle than you thought it was
3: Right, because if you're using it as your daily driver, you're not going to encounter... The outer limits of this uh, vehicle's ability. Exactly
2: right, and it's not just the vehicle. Again, it's 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 your own abilities because it's it's what you feel comfortable doing. And if you have that kind of relationship with your vehicle, it just builds a, a greater strength. You know, it's uh, you understand it more. You understand what you're capable of doing yourself as well. And, yeah. uh, and there's a lot of philosophy, I guess, that goes on with that too. But <laughs> you know, the uh, again, this this comfort zone thing was really big for them. And each day. At, uh, at Camp Jeep was just loaded with activities and they started in, in a place called Camp Hale, Colorado and then they moved to Charlottesville, Virginia later Mm -hmm. on. But each day you could do things like, uh, like, like hiking or you could go, you know, biking or you could go mountain climbing. You could do all kinds of crafts or, um, I think something they called mountain boarding, which I'm not sure exactly what it was. You could take photography classes that were, that were instructed by people from National Geographic. So they brought in, you know, some, uh, some big names as well. Like at night they would have fireworks displays and I think, you know, you gotta put yourself back in the mid 90s. Right. But they brought in some celebrities to appear at night, you know, like some music stars. So they bring in like, um, Oh, I think they had Sheryl Crow and Kenny Loggins and people like that that would come in and, and perform. But again, at the time, you know, these were big stars, big celebrities. So that was a big deal. Um, now, by th- by the year 2000, so that's five years later, they were getting attendance in the numbers of something like 8,000 people that would wow. attend these things. That's it, was, it was a family event. So, you know, like really? they said that I believe, you know, something like a 1,000 of those 8,000 people were under 10 years old. Um, so you know, it was a family oriented thing and people seem to really love it. I don't know ex- exactly what happened to it. I don't know why Camp Jeep faded away, but what they did do is they brought in around the same time something else called Jeep 101. and Jeep 101 is another thing that mm-hmm. is still around. So you can um, I guess it's there's a, there's a version of it called uh, the rocks the Jeep Rocks and Road Tour. Um, and that's kind of what Jeep 101 used to be. And I've actually driven on a Jeep 101 course at the, at the headquarters.
3: Yeah. At the, the, at Chrysler Chrysler? headquarters.
2: yeah, in Auburn Hills, Michigan. And I tell you, Ben, that's a fascinating thing. And if you want to see exactly what it was like, mm-hmm. take a look at the, uh, Rocks and Road Tour. You'll find video of it. And the, the 101 thing was that, again, it just pushed you to, uh, to do things in this vehicle. Now, you got in with an instructor and you were able to drive. At least at the time you were able to drive on your own. I think now they have the instructor drive with you. Mm-hmm. But they show you just how deep, you know, the, the, of a water crossing it can ford, or just how steep of a hill it can climb, or uh, how steep of a hill it can, um, you know, crawl back down. And you would be surprised, Ben, just how, it, it's almost terrifying how steep these, uh, these hills were on this course. It was really cool. And they would do an articulation thing where, you know, the back wheels would come off the ground when you approach. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. the front wheels would be off the ground as you, as you come off of this thing. Yeah. Um, do some rock crawls. You really would do some, some amazing things on these Jeep 101 courses. And again, they've developed this into this, uh, this rocks and road tour. And these things travel around. So like, you know, the, the Jeep Jamboree, that has uh, has expanded now to be something like there are 30 of these Jeep Jamborees now that happen all over the United States. And there's these are two-day events that are held you know yearly all around North America. So you, you can attend one of the 30. And I think the Jeep 101 course is held in something like a dozen or so cities. So they've made kind of a, a city version of this. You don't have to be out in the country or out in the boondock somewhere mm-hmm. to be able to enjoy your Jeep. Um just interesting things that you know the company has done with uh, with the product and the way that they get the name out there and show the capability because that's what it's always been about is is a capable design
3: and it pays off that's well said Scott and it pays off because I have a little bit of a current event from our news corner oh yeah bring it on Ben I'd love to hear it Okay so here we go uh this is a story from the LA Times published July 2nd. So just yesterday as we're recording this. um, Jeep, Subaru, and Rolls Royce are the auto sales winners so far. They're among the fastest growing car brands for the first half of the year. So even now, Jeep is one of the fastest growing brands. Uh, guess which three are struggling the most? Hmm. This is gonna, this might mess with your mind a little.
2: Really? Ah, boy. You mean a, a huge, like big brands? Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say General Motors Ford and
3: uh uh I don't know Fiat <laughs> mini Volkswagen and got that last one right Chrysler specifically no kidding now that's strange and I, I just threw that in there and I thought there's
2: no way that one would be right because as we know Jeep is is owned by Fiat
0: right
3: yeah so that's so that's a weird mix yeah Jeep is uh leading the charge here sales are up 45 percent they sold 332. Almost 333,000 vehicles during the first half of the year. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so it went past Chrysler and Dodge. You know, those are the other brands the Chrysler group owns. So today, uh, the world's oldest off-road brand has 4.1% say, uh, of the U.S. sales market.
2: Wow, and we're talking 74 years after this was invented. I mean, this is 74 years later, and we're still looking at a vehicle that, I mean, if you look at it, it looks like the version that was out there 74 years ago, only it's uh, it's much stronger, much bigger, and better. Yeah. But uh, you can see the lines from that original 1940 Jeep design in the current JK models that are out there.
3: Yeah. And so we thought this was just a, a fantastic, um, a fantastic topic to explore. But also, Scott, I hate to say it. We're almost drawing to the close of our show and there's stuff we haven't gotten you to know, yet. There's
2: still more and there's, there's always going to be more, Ben. I mean, we've got, uh, we've crossed off most of the stuff on our list, but, uh, but as I said, you know, dig into this topic yourself because, there's so much more to cover here that we we just can't simply get to in you know the span of a couple of podcasts
3: mm-hmm. um
2: there's as we read we found just item after item that was like, oh man, I got to mention more that more as stuff. well. Yeah. yeah, You know, you know how many times in this podcast we said, oh, just one more thing, or or you know, oh, here's <laughs> a here's a sidebar, a side note, and you know, interesting historical facts, things like that. There's just it's loaded with those. I mean, you can even look into the buildings where you know the the Jeep engineering happened. You know, the uh, the Plymouth Road Complex. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was just looking at photos of that. That's now been closed down. So that's kind of another little side note, I guess, if you want to, want to take it that way. Go on the Allpar site and look at you know the way it was and the way it is and Oh man, Ben, that was the. See, I'm thinking of more things as we, we go.
3: We didn't even talk about the customization of Jeeps, which is huge, and a lot of there's some people doing some impressive things and, out there.
2: And here's the uh, the kitchen appliance tie-in again. Remember the uh, remember the Calvinator brand? Yeah, With AMC. That was that was right there at the Plymouth Road Complex. So that's uh, again, Jeep engineering was happening at a factory where they were dealing with with kitchen appliances, and that that tie-in comes in so often. When yeah. We talk about cars. That's in, kind of
3: inside history. baseball for longtime listeners of our shows. Every so often, there in in one of our episodes, usually an historical episode like this one, one of us will say, uh, one of us will say, "Well, you know, they also made refrigerators." Mm-hmm. That's right. And this Kelvinator
2: thing—I think that's coming up <laughs> a couple times for the yeah. same one. But I guess I'm cheating a little bit on that one. But um, you know, there's there's little bits and pieces like that here and there, and you know, you'll find out that uh, you know maybe. They auctioned off the world's oldest Jeep or something like that. You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. always news stories popping up about Jeep and Jeep products and, and you'll, there's an endless supply of, of topics here.
3: So it's hard as it may be to believe Jeep did not pay us to do any, anything like this. We're just that big of uh, fans of this, co- of this brand. But Scott, that's something that happens too. Whenever we do one of our history podcasts, you know, we, uh, I remember. For a couple of weeks after we did the Honda podcast, I was walking around and I would see a Honda drive by, and I would think people just don't understand. People just don't get how how deep that brand goes. Do you have
2: any idea the history that you're driving there? <laughs> they, they, just, uh,
3: they just don't get it.
2: Yeah, and, and I think uh, you know the, the the way it sounds. You know, it sounds like we're almost doing a commercial for Jeep, but that's not the case. And and we've had to say that many times in other sure. podcasts. But yeah. once you start digging into these and you, you're researching them for a week or two or whatever we're mm-hmm. we're talking about, um, it seems like we just get so deep into the subject that uh, we become cheerleaders for the brand or
3: for the make or model. Endlessly fascinating. Now, we don't do it all the time because we, you know, the DeLorean, the Dale car, when things go wrong, we we do our due diligence and and show what went wrong. But we are fans of Jeeps and we are fans of these um explorations, these sort of nose-to-tail explorations of a car company. So as we head out with... We did pretty well, Scott. We didn't get to everything, but well, we got to a lot of stuff.
2: 74-plus years of, uh, of, of of vehicle, and I think we covered it in, what, less than two hours, so not
3: bad. We'd like to hear your uh Jeep facts and Jeep trivia. Go ahead and send it to us. We'd also like to hear any suggestions. For a vehicle or a topic that you'd like us to cover in the future, you can touch base with uh, Scott and I over at Facebook and on Twitter. We are Car Stuff on Facebook, Car Stuff HSW on Twitter. Turns out we're uh, moving up in the world of the internet. We have our own website, carstuffshow.com. Please check that out. You can find every single one of our podcasts there. Every one of them. So you can go all the way back nearly 600 episodes. Yeah, which you can't find all of them on iTunes. Um, and You can send us an email with a suggestion directly. Our address is carstuff at howstuffworks.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com.
3: This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes.
0: Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success.
3: From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug All needed. Right, let's go.